if you're a teacher, check yourself before you finish up. Check yourself before you, you wreck, wreck yourself. yourself. Remember that? <laughs> Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 77. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Choi. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. Here we are. It's week 36. I know everybody's been really excited about week 36. Uh, I'm excited about this. So we're in Titus chapters 1 through 3 and 1 Timothy 1 and 2. Yeah, well, I'm interested in what what made you excited about this. I like it too. I think they're they're good. But what what drew you to Titus and Timothy? What what made you excited and looking forward to this week? I love how they're young guys, or at least Timothy is a young guy. Paul refers to himself as basically kind of like a father figure to Titus. So I always view these as two young preachers who Paul's giving a lot of advice to, and you get this window into the apostles' advice to them, and it's pretty great. I I think a lot of the things that he says here are super practical and uh, very helpful in maybe starting a church or going to another place and helping to encourage a church that you might go to. Some of his words here to these two men are just really inspiring, I guess. That's my big takeaway. It's like a field guide for taking the word to people, whether it's to a (laughs) congregation or to individuals. How do you handle the word? How do you live as somebody that people are looking to with that? So, yeah, really helpful stuff. Well, so a little bit later on in the episode, we're going to talk about a word in our heavy words segment. And I'll give a sneak peek for it right now. And I think what I've been thinking about lately is how everybody right now, especially with whatever is going on, has been super focused on health. And obviously we're focused on the big disease and and COVID and everything like that. But even setting that aside, I think right now it's interesting, and, and myself personally, thinking a lot about my physical health and mental health especially. And with everybody out there like buying exercise equipment or, you know, working on their quarantine projects to become better and improve. And then you have all these people who are anxious. I know I've been there myself, who are just trying to cope with all of this stuff and and really focused on this kind of physical and mental well-being. We're going to talk about a word later on in the episode that is all about health, and it's the word sound. And this word is used here in these chapters in this week's readings a lot. And so we'll get there in a little bit. But before we do, let's find Jesus. And so again, we're in the book of Titus and the first two chapters of First Timothy. So where do you find Jesus here? I found this interesting insight about Jesus in Titus chapter two, about why he came and died for us. And that's something we talk about a lot. We talk about it every week around the table, and we think about it all the time, a whole lot more than that. But what we find here is that Jesus gave himself to purify a people passionate about doing good. So he says in Titus 2, verses 13 to 14, he talks about how we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Interesting. He, he says we're <laughs> waiting for the return of our God, which he identifies as Jesus Christ, which is pretty 
big deal right there, what he's saying about Jesus, that he's God. And he says, the reason we're waiting, he has given himself up for us. And he gave himself up for us to accomplish two things. First of all, the redemption from our evil deeds. But secondly, to make us zealous for doing good deeds. (laughs) And maybe we don't talk about that second part, the end of all of this work towards changing us and making us a holy people as we do the first part. We're forgiven, we're redeemed, that's the past. Now what are you going to do with it? Well, he has died for you so that he can make a people passionate about going around serving people and actively finding ways to do good in the world. That's the kind of person, a new person, that Jesus died to make you into. I love that word, zealous. Mm-hmm. It's it's just all about, like, being on fire. Yeah. We all have things that we're zealous for. We're passionate about these passion projects or these hobbies or whatever it is that we allow to, like, consume our time and consume our every waking thought. Like, things that we have gone to bed just mulling over in our minds things that we immediately think about when we first wake up, like, this is the thing I want to do. This is the the thing that makes me happy. And if we are in the Lord's possession and we're his, mm-hmm. then we're going to be passionate and zealous and on fire for doing good things. Yeah, I love that thought. I think we need to be more excited about the good things that we get to do instead of kind of being sometimes the Debbie Downers about like, oh, well, I can't do this and I don't do that. It's not about what we can't do or don't do. It's all about the awesome things that we do get to do or are allowed to do in Christ. Yeah, there's a picture of Jesus that Peter gives as he's preaching one of his sermons in Acts. He says he went about doing good works. And so it's not shocking that he would want to make a new people that, as you say, is on fire for doing the very thing he did, going around doing good works. So that's where I found Jesus. Where did you find Jesus in these chapters? So I went to 1 Timothy in uh, Friday's reading in chapter 2, and I found here kind of something that we talked a little bit on the last episode about, that Jesus is everyone's mediator. And so this is good. I, I, I love the way that Paul puts this here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, mm. verses 3 through 6. He says, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping in out of context here, but if you want the first two verses, go read the first two verses. They're also really good. But here we go. <laughs> this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And so we've talked about Jesus being our mediator a lot on this podcast, but I I Mm -hmm. found that this kind of really struck a chord with me in a new way, thinking about him as being everyone's mediator. There's only Mm -hmm. one mediator, and the fact that he brings up the one God and couples that with the one mediator between God and men. This is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom, not just for you and for me, but he gave himself a ransom for all. Again, I think we all know that. Like, I think we all know that Jesus died for everyone and that he brings us 
back into a relationship with God no matter who we are. But when you let that kind of just sink in and marinate for a little while, there is not a single person that we ever come in contact with, no matter who they are, no matter how different they are from us, that Jesus hasn't made an opportunity available to, to mediate for. And if Jesus is my mediator and he's your mediator, he's also the mediator of the guy who, like we've talked about before, cuts you off on the freeway. He's also the mediator for every single person alive or who has lived. And I think it's just a, an amazing thought to think about Jesus in that way because then I can find a commonality between people between everyone, anyone I just bump into at the grocery store, at the gas station. These are all people that Jesus has offered mediation for. It's interesting the nexus of universality and exclusivity in this concept that you're talking about here. Sure, There's this exclusivity to the one person. There's only one way that anyone is going to have access to God, a mediator to God. And If they're going to find that, they're going to have to find it in him. And we've found it. So that just gives that much more onus on us. But then there's a thought senior to that, which is this phrase, God desires all people to be saved. Mm -hmm. And the only way they do that is to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's this broad, universal pursuit that God has, a longing God has for all people to know truth and be delivered from their darkness, from from the the troubles that are to come. And yet it's found in one place. So again, to me, that just increases the weight of our debt to all men because he wants everyone. There's one way. So start funneling all people into that one little very thin path as many Mm -hmm. as you can. Yeah. And I, you know, especially in these times where everybody's divided and we always talk about this, but especially in this time where it's so easy to find something different between me and someone else. The, mm-hmm. the easy thing is to find the difference. The harder thing is to find that commonality that's always there. It's always mm-hmm. there. And that commonality is that Jesus died for them as much as he did for me. Yeah, and that's why Paul says in, in those verses that you skipped right over, uh, <laughs> that's why Paul says to pray for everybody. Pray for all men. This is that same idea because God is concerned about all men and you should be concerned about all men. And um, so, yeah, that's a that's I like that word to commonality as we think about the people around us. All right. So let's get into our next segment, which is scripture du jour. What is the soup du jour? It's the soup of the day. Mm, that sounds good. I'll have that. So we are in. First Timothy chapter one here. And so what in this chapter really stands out at you as being helpful or useful in our day to day living? We talked a while back, maybe last week or the week before, about the importance of purpose. And I think that as we think about having a clear goal in mind for the things we do, we need to bring that same attitude to our Bible classes, to our sermons, to our evangelism, to our Bible studies. So what is the purpose of this stuff? What's the purpose of a Bible class and anything else you do with the word? And Paul answers that. Paul gives a charge in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, as to what Timothy should be trying to accomplish every time he teaches. And here's what he says. The aim of our charge or the aim of our teaching could be translated is love 
that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Well, you said it on last week's episode, it's very helpful to know what our goal is. So this is a good verse for that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Sometimes we quote the saying, I think Michael Hyatt is who I've heard say it the most, people lose their way when they lose their why. Mm -hmm. And we can lose our way in teaching, in learning, in preaching, in all the work we do with the word when we lose the point of why we're doing it, when we lose our why. And so as we prepare to talk about what distinguishes sound teaching later on in the next segment from other kinds of teaching, a good starting point is to think about the goal of sound teaching. And our primary ultimate motive is to create loving, pure hearts, to shape people's affections and their character. And that, of course, doesn't mean it's unimportant to download Bible facts or to refute error, but it explains why and how those things matter. Because sound doctrine leads to sincere faith and clean consciences and lives that are led by agape love. So a lot of classes that I've been in, probably some that I've led, a lot of sermons, a lot of personal studies that we just have on our own even can seem aimless as if contact with God's word is all that matters. And I'm sure it will do something no matter what. It's living and active. But it's also important to have a goal and to have the right goal. And I guess the one thing that would be worse than aimless teaching is teaching with the wrong aim Mm -hmm. and, of course, with the wrong content. But whether it's bashing other people or puffing yourself up to look smart or pushing an unscriptural agenda, playing politics, being divisive or aiming to indoctrinate an extra biblical idea, whatever. There's all these different things we could bring to it. And those wrong aims, that's even worse than being aimless. So we need to just check what are we trying to do? What is our purpose? And if you're a teacher, check yourself before you finish up. Check yourself before you you wreck wreck yourself. yourself. Remember that? (laughs) Like... 1992 or something. Check yourself before you finish up your lesson. Is this aimed at the goal that Paul directed Timothy to aim at? I think about this every time I send you a sermon outline that I'm working on. (laughs) And what is the one thing you always say when I send that to you? What is your purpose in one sentence? Like, that's so good. And it's so clarifying. But I agree. I think it's very easy to just harp on maybe the same kind of surface scratching things or slip into something that could be very easily just viewed by anyone else in the world coming across that as being arrogant or puffed up or diminishing what other people are dealing with. And that's such an easy thing for us to slip into in our Bible study. Like if you only go to the Bible to prove yourself right versus going to the Bible to ask the tough, hard questions of yourself. I mean, just speaking about your own personal Bible study, there's so many things that we can do that look good because, well, I'm reading the Bible, but are they accomplishing this goal of developing within us a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith with love? And I love it. I think it's good. I think you're you're digging into the meat here. We're diving in already to sound words. <laughs> yeah. So what did you find in First Timothy chapter 1? Well, again, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just continuing to pull from the last episode. Uh, but <laughs> when I was reading this chapter, though, for some reason, it just seemed to summarize a lot of what we were saying last week. The spiritual warfare, soldiers spiritual of Spiritual warfare, right. All of this kind of language of battle and 
Paul kind of sums up here in verse 18 through 20 of chapter 1. He says, This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So there's a lot here, but what I find in this verse is that we are fighting for those who are shipwrecked. And again, this language of battle and warfare and all the things we talked about, about those sort of enemies, quote unquote, of the world actually being like captives behind enemy lines. That's kind of what Paul is describing about these, at least these two individuals here. They are handed over to Satan. This is like they've been taken captive. You gave these two individuals to the enemy, and now they're over there. These punishments that are going on are really there to correct these people, to change these people, to bring them back to repentance. It's not that he is telling Timothy to go out there and battle with these people and fight with them. He's rejected them. He's pushed them away so that they would come back, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And I think that's really important because he's not saying, well, good riddance. I want nothing to do with them. The goal here is to bring them back. I think he's wanting Timothy to fight for these people and to do the hard thing of discipline Mm because discipline isn't fun. It's not easy. It's not something we want to do. But am I actually willing to do the kind of discipline that would help bring somebody back? And B, kind of like you just said, am I doing it with the right objective in mind? Like, is my goal right in disciplining people? He could have easily slapped a label on them. He could have easily just written them off. But he's handed them over to Satan in order that they would actually come back. The lengths to which Paul goes to get them back just shows you to get down to brass tacks it just shows you how hard it is to change for any of us and think about a ship it's so much easier to crash a ship than to rebuild (laughs) it and get it back out on the sea so that it's it's sound for the sea so that it's it's healthy and in ship shape and not going to leak and and have problems and in the same way i mean it's really easy to just not know that there's a reef there and just run into it spiritually and crash and burn <laughs> but it it takes a lot to kind of rebuild a life once you start going the wrong way once you're broken by sin and by wrong ideas and the kinds of things that Satan wants to bring into our lives. And and so sometimes it takes extreme measures to get us to where we're in our right minds enough that we can fully think through and find the willpower to fully repent and turn ourselves over to God. The question you asked about how am I viewing the people who are shipwrecked and how am I viewing the task of discipline, I think if we can recognize what our goal is, again, (laughs) as we were just talking about, and have in mind, I'll do whatever it takes to bring them back within the will of God. Yeah. Being a parent, you have your kids and you have to discipline them. And we parents like to say it a lot, but do we really mean it that this hurts me more than it hurts you? It's not easy to discipline your kids. It's not easy to really do the hard thing. But when you do it, you do it because you want 
these little ones to grow up to be fully formed adults that are not dealing with the same kinds of problems that they had when they were kids. We're trying to make this correction and disciplining someone is not easy. I don't know anyone who's been close to somebody who they've had to discipline who really enjoyed that. But at the same time, the ultimate goal in all of that is to bring them back. And so that's, I guess, maybe the kind of battling. One way that we can battle and wage warfare in this world is to do these kinds of hard things, even for people who are in our family. And I've known a lot of people who that was a deal breaker for. Like, they will not turn course and do this difficult step of discipline because it was a family member. I don't know. I I just think there's a lot of really nitty gritty, hard questions that you have to answer when somebody makes a shipwreck of their faith. Yeah. It Oh, it can get really complicated. And, yeah. and there's not always simple answers. But if the people who don't really know them and don't really have a relationship with them are the only ones who practice discipline, it will mean nothing. And it just invalidates their efforts whenever those who are closest to them just say, eh, well, I, I'm not really into that. We're really close. And so I'm going to blow that off. Obviously, if it's a spouse or a child, you know, there's different relationships that have sure. other responsibilities, but it should certainly affect our our relationship. So let's get into our last segment here on the episode, and that is heavy words. Whoa, this is heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? So we're talking about this word sound, and it's used quite a few times here in this week's readings. The Greek word hugianyo is really all about being healthy or well or safe or accurate. Actually, the word is translated a few other times, even by Jesus. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, Mm -hmm. but those who are sick in Luke 5, verse 31. It's the same word that he uses when he talks about being well. There is this wholeness, there's a completeness and accurateness to this word. And I don't know, this has been on my mind because I'm a software engineer and my product that I work on are radios. And if you are like thinking of a a walkie-talkie or something like that, in the military and in a lot of other contexts, people will say, I hear you loud and clear. And there's actually a way of measuring that. And so there's another term that people use, I hear you five by five. (laughs) The first number is loud and the second number is clear. And so if I hear you five by five, that means I hear you all the way loud and all the way clear. But if you get a transmission that's garbled or you get something that is so quiet you can't even hear it, well, then you might rate it a two by two or a three by three. Really, the idea behind it is how accurate is what I'm hearing on the other end to what was sent? And that's, I think, a lot about what this word is about, being complete, being whole. All of the intended original source is transmitted through the line and given on the other side. Five by five teaching. That's great. And so here in this week's readings, we find this word in Titus chapters one and two and in First Timothy chapter one referring to sound doctrine and sound faith. But in other places, this word is used to talk about sound words and sound teaching. And I think it's all the same idea really being conveyed there. So thinking about this word sound, what does it really bring to your mind? What does it mean to you? It's funny you brought up 
COVID-19 right at the beginning <laughs> and talking about health and wellness. And if you look at the word as it's put into normal English characters, you can see the word hygiene in it, that this is where hygiene yes. came from, right? And you think about all the emphasis on hygiene we have. Did you scrub your hands for 20 seconds? Did you sing happy birthday twice or whatever? <laughs> and are you taking care of proper hygiene for people to be well, to be safe? And whenever Jesus heals someone in the Gospels, this is often the word that comes about their physical health after they're healed. So when, when I think about teaching with proper hygiene, I think about does it have that same effect spiritually that Jesus' words and Jesus' life and actions had physically when he would heal someone physically, they were sound. If they couldn't see before, now they can see completely. If they were lame, now they are completely healthy. And our words need to bring that kind of health and wellness and ability. All the things that come with health, you're able to do what you need to do. You're not corrupted by the diseases and the corrupting weakness that comes from false ideas. And yeah. so sound words bring health to the listener, unlike those false teachers that Paul describes in 1 Timothy 6, 4 as having unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. And man, you don't have to look far to see this unhealthy craving for controversy and for just arguing about nothing, about <laughs> what are we talking about? Why does this matter? Yeah. And I mean, I can just have fun with talking about something with anybody, just getting into the details of a word's meaning, but we can really lose our way as we've been talking about as far as our, our goal. It's not healthy. And so sound doctrine leads to healthy churches, bringing spiritual wholeness and vitality to the hearers. But this passage that I was thinking about, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13, talks about sound words, and then it gives some more ideas with that. It says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So as important as correct teaching is, which is most important here, truth without love is not enough. You think of Ephesians 4.15, mm -hmm. are you speaking the truth in love? He says, hold the pattern in faith and love. Some hold to the right message, but with a pugnacious spirit, with that fighter spirit. I just like that word, pugnacious. <laughs> but as we be cantankerous, that's another good one. Yeah, but good as one. we began, the aim of our charge is love. And so we have to kind of make our focus bringing about love, and it should be motivated by the very thing we're trying to produce. And then he says this other thing that I think is pretty important, and we could talk about this for a whole episode too, but he says, follow the pattern of the sound words. Yeah. And of course, a pattern exists as a model to be imitated. Whenever I preached on this last time, I brought up one of Adrian's sewing patterns, you know, and I just unfolded the whole big thing and it's, it's just this big mess and I don't even know how to use it, but I know that <laughs> if you use that pattern every time, it's going to make the same dress or apron or pants or whatever you're making. Yeah. If you actually follow the pattern and this word that he uses for the pattern is a word that originally meant an outline sketch like an architect might make before getting down to the detailed plans of a building. It's a sketch, it's a model, it's a pattern of something. And so it's not in depth, 
but there is something that is laid out. The basics of it are laid out such that Timothy already had all of the building blocks in place if he just follows that. You can improvise how you teach it or explain it in a different way, but the pattern is always the same. And, and so Paul's teaching gave Timothy an authoritative outline of the content of the faith because if you go back to verse one there, as Paul often says, Paul reminded Timothy, who knew him really well, that he was an apostle. Not like <laughs> Timothy didn't know, yeah. but he wants him to recognize this is why this matters. I am an ambassador sent from Christ to bring a five by five message. And here it is. These are the sound words delivered by me straight from Christ. And so you receive it as from the Lord, and then you can share it with others. And, and so his job then, the next chapter of Timothy says in chapter two, you take what I've given to you now and you entrust it to faithful men who can then teach other people. And then it just goes down like a like a pyramid scheme, except a good one, <laughs> the best way. You just pass it on two by two by two. You teach two, you teach two, and you just spread down to as many people as you can. So the right goal, the right spirit, but most important, we need the right teaching because without that, of course, no one will know who the one mediator is or how to access him to go back to your point originally. I can't help but think about that game telephone when thinking yeah. about this. You know, knowing that this is going to be how the gospel spreads from one person to another person to another person and, and so on and so on, all the way up until 2020, all the way up until mm -hmm. now. If anywhere along the chain, the accuracy of that message gets tainted, then you've lost the whole thing. You, you no longer have what you had in the original. And it's like standing at a copy machine and taking not the original source, but taking a copy of something and then making a copy of that and then making a copy of that. Eventually, at some point, it gets so degraded, you can't even tell what it was in the first place. And yeah. that's the kind of emphasis or the kind of focus. It's like, you can't lose one little bit of this because if you do, then passed along to the next generation is going to be an incomplete version of that truth. And incomplete truth is really, it's an oxymoron, I guess. It's no longer truth. It's no longer what it was originally intended to be. And I guess that focus on using the same pattern, going back to the pattern. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a really helpful way of thinking about how seriously we really should take our work in teaching and like you said, doing it from the right motive, which is love. Yeah, well, so how can we make sure we have the right thing if we're playing telephone and we're the 30th guy down the line? What could you do to make sure you're hearing it right? Well, if you just walk up to the first guy and say, no, I don't want to hear it from him. You tell me. Well, now you've got something. I don't think that's how they play telephone, by the way. <laughs> it's, that would sure. be really not that fun. That's cheating in telephone. But, you know, a lot of people will use that whole idea to say this is why Christianity is corrupted. And it can be. It's exactly right. But that's why we need to go back to the source. And we have the source. We don't have to just hear a copy of a copy of a copy as someone makes a, a catechism of a creed, of a document, of a going back to books about books about books. Mm -hmm. We can go back to the source. And so this goes back to our Pharisees conversation about how they made copies of themselves and they were even worse than themselves. Right. And so we just have to keep pointing people backwards. And we all have 
an inherent tendency towards bias. We all can very easily be corrupted. We bring all kinds of baggage with us to everything that we hear. And so you have to fight for pulling aside all of those presuppositions and all of your 21st century American thinking and all the other things you bring to it and and try to hear it as purely as you can. And it's not going to be perfect, but keep going back and thinking, what was Jesus saying? What was Paul saying? What is the message? How can I make my life line up with that. And Paul promises Ephesians 3 verses 3 through 5, if we hear what he has to say, if we read it, we can understand his insight into the mystery of Christ. Yeah. And I guess that kind of leads into what I was thinking about here with this word. Last week, we talked about Jesus being our mature standard. Yeah. Even just thinking about Jesus as being a standard, he is the original. He's the one we're all trying to measure up to. And Mm -hmm. we kind of talked about little kids standing in line and how they want to puff up their chests and be as tall as the tallest one or whatever. But how accurately, really, do I actually measure up to Jesus? If I had to quantify it like that five by five scale, what number would I give myself? Not, Not to say that giving ourselves a number is really important, but how close to the original am I? Is my faith as strong as it could be? Or am I really missing something? Am I actually doing everything out of love? Or are some things that I'm doing really motivated by selfishness or pride? Is my faith as strong as it could be? Or is there something there that I, I really need to work on? Do I really believe the same things that Jesus taught? Or have I put a spin on it? Have I brought baggage to it like you talked about? And even, I guess, more importantly, am I teaching everything that Jesus taught? Or am I somehow leaving things out? And when you start to think about this word, you really start to get the importance of accuracy to Jesus, especially in our teaching. You cannot go out and teach somebody just little bits and pieces of the truth and still have it stand up as being truth. This idea of a standard that we hold ourselves to, ultimately, Jesus is the pattern, right? His teaching is the pattern of the faith, what we believe. His life is the pattern of our conduct. His person is the pattern of what we're ultimately trying to achieve, the measure of the fullness of Christ. So those are our parallel ideas. And I was thinking about how in our evangelism, We've talked here recently about how difficult it can be to find a thread or find a methodology that's satisfying. (laughs) I just had a person ask me the other day, what should I use? I've got this study set up. What's your method? And I just I I don't think there is a method that ever feels like a, a silver bullet. But if you're looking for something, here is really what we're talking about, go back to the pattern. You have to show them who Jesus is and show them the pattern of sound words, what the the sound teaching is. The content is always ultimately the same. So that's a a real relief. It's just what's, what's your starting point going to be and where do you go from there? And I think some of that comes in just sharing your own passion and your own excitement about it. That, mm-hmm. that when people see that, you could like, okay, I have a five pamphlet study that we're going to go through. Like, 
you can just see people's eyes rolling in the back of their heads like, <laughs> oh, okay, here we go. That's not what's going to win people over. What's going to win people over is when they see how it's changed you. Going back to the pattern, going back to the accuracy of who Jesus is, and really coupling that with that kind of zeal that you have, I think is going to be a really transformative thing for people. And, you know, if you're not excited about it, how are you going to get them excited about it? I guess is kind of another way to think about that. But I, I think even going along with that, though, Paul says something later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that being healthy isn't fun. I mean, let's be honest. Like, really, being healthy, being sound is not super fun. And I just said that after saying that we should be really passionate and zealous about it. But he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And that's the natural tendency. We want to hear the comfortable thing. We want to hear the easy thing. We want to hear the thing that doesn't convict us or doesn't cause us to look inwardly. And sound teaching doesn't do that. Sound teaching gets in your face and says, you're wrong Mm -hmm. and you need to change. We don't feel comfortable examining our own selves sometimes, but really getting serious about measuring up. It doesn't leave us feeling great when we get serious about measuring up. It doesn't leave us feeling like we're doing well because we're going to see the warts, Mm -hmm. we're going to see the problems, we're going to see all the difficulties. And if we don't have the right kind of spirit going into that, we're going to run away scared out of our minds. (laughs) So I I think there is something there that we just need to realize that this is not going to be the easy thing that just pats you on the back and says everything is fine. Because sound words really are convicting and being convicted is not a walk in the park. Yeah, yeah. I have two thoughts for you on this. You you made me think of two different things. <laughs> One is I was teaching Jeremiah yesterday, and in Jeremiah 3, it talks about what happened to Judah, and it says that they regarded their sins, their unfaithfulness to God, lightly. Mm-hmm. And because of that, then they had a pretense Even whenever they did restore themselves to God, it was restoring themselves with a pretense and not with their whole heart. And we talked about the tension, the difficult balance in finding a way to stay ever mindful of God's grace, God's promises, having confidence in the character and love and sufficiency of God and of Christ that we can know that his promises are true Mm -hmm. and that we can know we have eternal life. And still, on the other hand, keep this soberness and work out our salvation with fear and trembling and have a sense of the weight of our sins. It is not a light thing. And have a sense of how easy it would be for us to veer off course and be shipwrecked, as we were talking about. And so that tension is an important part of every Christian's life. We have to find a way to always stay in confidence, in trust in God's grace and not get so caught up in our own worthiness that we think that if we're not worthy, if we're not measuring up, then we're we're it's all hope is lost and and we're discouraged because, of course, we're never going to be worthy and we're never going to fully measure up. And yet. Trusting in God's grace and in Christ, we have to 
constantly be pushing forward, pressing on and have that that seriousness. And some people get really excited about being healthy, <laughs> switching <laughs> metaphors. That's right. <laughs> this is my second idea. There have been times where you and I have talked about how cool it was when things were going well for us and getting really healthy and you're just on a roll. And how do you stay in, in that place? And I used this illustration recently from a doctor who wrote an article called something like change your life by changing your taste buds. Yeah. And what they found is that if you just for just a few weeks, like three weeks, try eating healthy as an experiment, your taste buds actually start to change and you start finding those greens and those raw veggies or whatever it is, those low sodium, low sugar snacks as really tasting a lot better than they did three weeks before. And you see people going the opposite way also. And you see that here from a spiritual standpoint in 2 Timothy 4.3, where people are losing their interest in sound teaching, even though it is certainly more fun to be healthy than to be sick. It can be appealing to do things that are destructive to us sometimes and spiritually they started having itching ears and accumulating teachers to their own passions and wanting people to tell them they can do all the things they want to do. And so when you spiral out of control and you're totally unhealthy spiritually and everything is falling apart, you've lost your way. But if you turn, if you can turn it around and start learning to love God's word, start learning to see the good in the things around you, mm -hmm. start building relationships in God's church all of a sudden there's some momentum to where your taste buds have changed, your affections have changed. And that is the aim of our teaching love from a pure heart and a sincere faith and a good conscience. It's creating that kind of positive inward change. I think that idea of momentum is really important here because habits build on themselves, good habits mm -hmm. build on themselves and bad habits build on themselves. And if you're so far on one end of the spectrum, then the other side just does not look good. And I guess that's really what I was talking about when I was saying mm -hmm. that being healthy isn't fun, is that yeah. in the beginning, being healthy isn't fun. But after you have developed a real taste for it and, and, it, and it's really stuck to you, then you couldn't even imagine being any other way. And having a big old can of Pepsi just is like <laughs> sickening to you, right? <laughs> that does sound gross. I'm in that though right now. Like I don't eat a ton of carbs. And if I have to have something that's like super bready, I just, I, I couldn't even imagine eating that. But in the beginning, it was not that way. In the beginning, that donut looked really good. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, now I look at a donut and it's like, I, it, I know what I will feel like right after I eat that thing. Yeah. And that's, I guess, in a small way, a good comparison. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the challenge for this week. And you've got it for us. Yeah. So going with what Brian was just talking about, about measuring up and, and taking this seriously, we want to encourage you guys, all of us and ourselves to think about Jesus standard this week. Think about that pattern of sound words. Think about Jesus life. Think about what Jesus calls us to and how we measure up in our lives to that standard as we seek to pursue that goal of the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. 
if it's very easy for you to do this challenge this week, uh, maybe you should do it again. Because <laughs> even a brief look into how you measure up, you will probably see more than you really wanted to. Yeah. And remember the tension. Don't lose grace. Yes. Don't be discouraged by it. Be challenged by it. Be inspired by it. Remember, God forgives. God has forgotten all the things that you have done where you didn't measure up to to his glory where you fell short of it but then press on to greater heights greater standards all right everyone thanks for tuning into the bible geeks podcast you can find us on our website at biblegeeks.fm you can find show notes for this episode at biblegeeks.fm slash 77 or in your podcast player of choice if you want to get in touch with us and talk about something you want to hear on upcoming episodes go to biblegeeks.fm slash contact And if you haven't checked out our Into the Book Bible Reading program, that's at BibleGeeks.fm slash Into the Book. Until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you today. Shalom. Shalom.